Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I have been a photographer for over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image entitled, The Declaration. But why? Why did I choose the name Declaration? Well, if you look it up online, you'll see that the it's an image of the cross covering the lower 60% of the frame. Above the cross is a heavenly scene of light breaking through the clouds, shining down golden amber light onto the cross. This image reminds me of the scene of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. Except this could also be the scene from Easter morning, after the resurrection of Jesus. And God the Father saying, This cross was the way that the sacrificial lamb, my son, obediently used to save all of mankind. In him I am very, very pleased. There seems to be many definitions to the word declaration, but to me it has to do with trust. When people arrive from overseas, customs officials ask if they have anything to declare. Most times, if the answer is no, they let you pass. If a manufacturer of, say, a cell phone wishes to sell and ship into, say, Europe, they must submit a Declaration of Conformity, also known as a DOC. They have to give that to customs. The document lists which tests were performed to demonstrate conformity to the national requirements. Hardly ever with an adequate DOC does customs hold the shipment. But what are they doing? They are taking the word of the manufacturer. They choose to trust the declaration. And to the buyer of that cell phone, the purchaser chooses to trust that the manufacturer will follow through on the manufacturer's warranty declaration. So why do some Christians have a hard time transitioning from belief to faith? To put one's faith in something or someone means that one is putting his or her trust in that person or thing. At your job, it is easy to believe that your boss is a real person. Okay, yes, that person delegated as your manager exists. And you believe that the company has given that person authority over you. However, can you truly have faith that the boss has your best interests at heart? 
A common phrase to ponder is that Lucifer more than just believes in God, he knows God exists. But does Lucifer put his faith in God? No. He is fully committed to oppose God at every turn. Beliefs are things that we are very sure of. That being the case, our beliefs then can change over time as we acquire new knowledge and live through new experiences. Belief is an element of faith. They are not one and the same. To me, faith is an assessment of how firmly we act on or act out a specific belief, either in a way that can bolster or undermine our faith. And since our faith is how we live out our beliefs, then we can enhance our faith by focusing on shaping our beliefs. And how do we do that? By praying, experiencing God, reading the Bible, acquiring knowledge, and thus our faith can be strengthened. With that in mind, how should Christians interpret, understand, and live out the declarations God made to his people, the Jews, and to all mankind? An important bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament is found in Isaiah 40, verse 3, which refers to John the baptizer. Isaiah was prophesying that he would be a voice calling in the wilderness. This is made clear by Matthew, who interprets this verse for us in Matthew 3, 1-3. The same interpretation is given by the writers of other gospel accounts, Mark 1, 2-4, Luke 3, 2-6, and John 1, 19-23. Then, in the New Testament, we find declarations like Philippians 4.19, which says, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And God has promised that his grace is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians 12.9 God has made provision for our salvation by his grace through faith. Read Ephesians 2.8 It is through an obedient faith that we have access to the grace of God according to what we also see in Romans 5.2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we now declare with boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Also, God has promised victory over death. His first he first resurrected Jesus by way of assuring our resurrection. Peter said, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Well, what is asked of a witness, say, in a court of law? They're being asked to declare what they saw, what they heard, and what they felt. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians fifteen, three and 4. Later he adds, But thanks to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-seven. And my favorite verse... God has promised that all things work together for good 
for those who love and serve him faithfully. Romans 8.28 Now it may be difficult for us to see and understand how this is accomplished at times, but God has promised it, and he will deliver. Or, God has declared that those who believe in Jesus and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins will be saved. You also see this in Mark 6.16 and Acts 2.38. God has promised his people eternal life. John 10.27 In closing this aspect of this devotion, let me appeal to you to live in such a way that the promises of God will be yours. All these verses I just read are slices of the spectrum of the good news of the gospel. Should we not always be willing to share and to declare the message of the cross? And the obvious answer is yes. And to me, we live in the middle of two bookends, the crucifixion and our eternal resting place. And the message of the cross is to share the message of the cross. For many years after my mom's conversion from a life of drug addiction to a woman of God, she could not help her joy from oozing out and affecting every conversation towards the good news of the gospel. That is all that can be expected of us, to share the gospel, not trying to convince anyone of anything. There are times in our life where we will be more proactive like if you're on a specific mission or a mission trip, let's say if your church goes down to Guatemala for a two-week mission. But there was a time when my mom's mission field was with her church ladies that would walk up and down the long drag strip of our local town where all the cruising happened on Friday and Saturday nights. Yes, everyone she met, she struck up a discussion about their need to meet Jesus. She led some in the sinner's prayer, but most times she was planting seeds. Or when a team she was a part of would embark off the YWAM ship, the Anastasis, at a particular port, they would use mime actors and skits. As most any given port they visited, the people there did not speak English. It was a direct intention to share the gospel but in a nonverbal way. Now, don't get me wrong, we are called to be proactive and to proactively strike up dedicated conversations about the gospel to a person or a target audience, but at the right time and with the Spirit's prompting, and never in the spirit of convincing. We declare who we are by sharing our joy under the umbrella of the message of the cross, and then we let the Holy Spirit take it from there. My point is in regards to what the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, that there is a time for everything. Even the disciples, sent two by two by Jesus on their missionary trip, eventually returned. And along the way, they shook off a lot of dirt from many towns off their sandals. Then they returned to their neighborhood for a time. My point is, the rest of the time, when we are not participating in mission activities, we simply live our lives. And my contention is that over the long haul, our behavior and actions have a greater impact than a conversation or two. So yes, when there is a good opportunity and when prompted by the Holy Spirit, we can shape a conversation with an actual neighbor on our street 
towards a discussion about the gospel and asking the right questions to lead them to a greater conversation about Jesus' sacrifice and possibly a consideration for them to accept it. But if we bring it up every day or every time we see them, it will be counterproductive and very awkward. Actually, they, they may start avoiding you. Remember, Jesus said to be cunning as serpents and harmless as doves. Meaning, like the trapdoor spider, you need the Holy Spirit's prompting on an awareness of the situation to know when to tactfully strike, to share the good news of Christ in a purposeful manner. I contend that after an initial discussion of the gospel with a neighbor, informing them of our faith, it will then be how we live over weeks, months, and years with that neighbor, or near the neighbor, that will water those seeds or even harvest the soul someday. And in that case, that person then will in turn share the gospel with his family. The obvious exemption to be creative in finding non-confrontive ways to water the seeds we have planted is creative ideas, maybe to give out cross cookies and cross cards at Easter. If during the handoff you can get a discussion about the cross and Christ, then yes. Moments like that are perfectly appropriate times to share the conversation. But the act of giving them the gift speaks louder. Another one is giving nativity-themed Christmas cards with phrasing inside about God's blessing on their family. Again, the rest of the time is how we live. And part of that is staying aware of those divine appointments when the Holy Spirit says to act. Now, some can be by accident, by staying aware Meaning it could be as simple as, let's say, when walking your dog past their house and they're outside and you ask, you generally ask without a goal of creating a witnessing conversation, something like, how are you? When they respond to that question by saying good, which is, by the way, what we all seem to be conditioned to always say, you can respond with something like, great, how is everyone else in your family? I find that sometimes that question opens up a discussion about maybe their grandma or their Aunt Mabel or Cousin George who might be fighting some kind of illness. And if you ask and you say, hey, would you like me to pray for them? And again, we are all programmed to say yes to that kind of question most of the time. Then you inform them that you will. And then you do. You'd better. And I'm sure I don't need to comment as to why (laughs) from a negative perspective, but... From a positive perspective, it's a double benefit in that when you have your prayer time, you pray not just for Aunt Mabel, but you also have the reason to remember to pray for that specific neighbor, to pray for them and their family. Praying something like, may God lead them to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This means that through our actions, behavior, words, and prayers, we can lead them to a consideration of the gospel. And we can always continue in prayer. If we live on a particular street, condo complex, apartment building, then all those around us are meant to be in our circle of life. So even if I don't get a chance to say hi or how are you, simply seeing them can prompt me to say a quick prayer right there at the moment for them and their family. My office window faces the street. When I see one of my neighbors walk by, I stop and say a quick prayer for them. Again, asking that the Holy Spirit would visit them and lead them to a saving knowledge in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that a lot, 
not just for my neighbors. Another group in our circle of influence is our extended family. In family events, everyone knows or should know about your faith in Christ and will be watching your actions and words with a magnifying glass. There will be divine appointments and times to have a gospel discussion with one of our family. But it is even more critical to be aware as they observe how we live and how we react to life. So careful how we react to hot topics of, say, politics or other religions, or how to handle a situation when someone shares gossip. Always be aware. These people know us best. And correcting a misconception based off an honest, reactive mistake takes longer to correct than with a neighbor. So I like to pray right before entering a family event to calibrate as best as possible with the Holy Spirit and for everyone I will be interacting with, asking God to bless them through me. Same at a job. One prayer I like to pray before going into work is asking God to bless that company through me and to bless my coworkers through me. Then there's the rest of our societal circle of influence. When I used to do craft fairs for my wall decor, I would set up a craft fair booth. I'd watch a person or family pass by, and I would pray that prayer. Not as much during busy times, but during the slow times, or when they would visit the booth and then they're walking away, I would pray for them. Or it can be at a mall, an airport, sporting event, and the checkout line behind somebody. And especially, it can be when I see a homeless person, I pray for God to meet them right where they are at, and that the Holy Spirit would introduce them to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being a people watcher can be entertaining, but our prayers can or may help them and help their guardian angels help them with and through our little mustard seed prayer. This is why it is important to stay aware, stay aware that the kingdom of God is all around us, always around us which is fostered by morning prayer and scripture reading. If we allow ourselves to be consumed by the stress of everyday living, we can lose this awareness. And not just to pray, but in some cases to assist the direction of the conversation in a godly direction. And if we are unable to get the discussion to the life-changing topic of Jesus Christ, we can at least share enough about ourselves that they walk away knowing we are Christians. I guess what I'm saying is not about your actual words, it's about your intentions, your constant kingdom-based intentions. Like the cross images I've created, they do not say anything verbally, but I have seen visceral, visceral reactions of bitter acrimony. But I've also seen many times where the viewer breaks down in tears. The last booth craft fair I had, I had a young man, Asian, descent with a hearing problem. He started crying, pointing at the power, saying, This is me. This is me. And he cried for about five minutes right there in my booth. The photo didn't say a word. Our lives should be like art, allowing God to compose the symphony of our soul and be the master painter of our spiritual canvas, allowing God to bless people through us, allowing the message of the cross to come through in how we live and how we react to life. All of this is what is behind the declaration of who we are in Christ. Chuck Swindoll had a quote that said, Life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you react to it. We all go, or will go, 
are tough spots in life. When we lose loved ones, lose jobs, or a loved one from another political party quit speaking to us, how we choose to respond makes a huge and potentially an eternal effect on those around us. Because after all, what is the message of the cross? It means to me that if I accept the sacrifice Jesus made for me on the cross, then my eternal destiny is secured. And the peace I felt and still feel is so deep, I want others to feel and know it. The knowing that nothing in between my acceptance and my entering into heaven can change that. As Paul the Apostle wrote in Romans 8.39, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This knowing, this faith can be, should be, what keeps you calm through any storm in life. All the cares of the world dim down in darkness compared to the resurrection light of Christ. My mom had a plaque that read, Don't look to how big your problem is, but look to the bigness of your God. No matter what we go through, we are in Christ and in God's will, and thus all things will work out. Just as I quoted Romans 8.28 earlier. So no matter what, we can say, Hmm, what is the worst that can happen in this particular situation? Well, the worst is I could die, which is to be alive in Christ. So the good news of the gospel is an inverted truth. The worst case scenario for the Christian in God's will is always the best case scenario. Again, if we are in God's will. So yes, we should live in such a way that this perspective of peace permeates in and through us, indirectly and sometimes directly preaching the message of the cross to all around us and at all times, because God's kingdom is always around us. Based on what I've shared in this devotional, I am not saying a renewed heart of evangelization is the only message a tick away from the image called the Declaration, but I believe it is a great other side towards the other bookend of heaven, You see, God's declaration of who he is and how those around me view who I am in God. Let me see, from another perspective, that first part of the bookend, the left-hand side, is the actual event that took place on Golgotha 2,000 years ago. What we learn in the middle is what caused us to ask Jesus to be our Savior and helps maintain our faith. To me, this can be crucial a Christian in their daily walk, in our daily carrying of our cross. One must have a starting place. And in my humble opinion, it began meditatively back at the foot of the cross. Yes, right there with the Roman guards that just tortured Jesus in so many ways. The injured and disfigured Jesus on the cross. Two thieves on each side, along with the two Marys and his most intimate disciple John. What lessons for ourselves? What can we learn there? What lessons of obedience? What lessons of submission? And what lessons of sacrifice can we learn from Jesus? What can we learn about the crown of thorns? Or of the gambling for his clothes? 
or about the juxtaposed conversation of the two thieves? What can we learn from Jesus asking John to care for Mary and for Mary to care for John? What can we learn from the deeper meaning when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them? Or when he cried out, I thirst, or uttered, I commit my life into your hands. And what can we learn, especially when he finally said, it is finished. These are all things that I like to meditate upon. Now you may say, I don't have time for such meditative starting points of a daily prayer life. I would respond, why not? Why not carve out more time to harmonize yourself with the Holy Spirit every morning? How about a half hour? You may not go through all the items at and around the cross each day you meditatively pray, but you can pick one. There have been sermons and books just on what we can learn from Jesus saying, I thirst. This one two-letter phrase was the cornerstone of Mother Teresa's ministry. I suggest you simply try. Imagine yourself starting your daily prayer session at the foot of the cross, and then allow for the Holy Spirit to guide your prayer session that day, and allow the Holy Spirit to provide you a message from the cross, specifically custom for you for that day. It can't hurt. What's the worst case scenario of sitting a half an hour to pray? Mother Teresa's morning prayers were literally three hours long. So can you pray for half an hour to strengthen your faith and equip you with the spiritual awareness to share the message of the cross with others? If you have never accepted the sacrifice Jesus made for you, consider how, by accepting the forgiveness of your sins, it will open your life into a brand new phase of love, joy, and peace of mind. Sounds good? Might I suggest you pray as well right now. Take time to really think about what Jesus allowed to happen to him for you that day. And if you can, close your eyes and imagine yourself there. And if you respond with a longing for that regenerative change to where you are in life, then that's a good thing. Maybe maybe you are drinking too much or addicted to drugs or eating too much as a way of possibly soothing your past traumas. Or maybe you keep realizing that you're unwittingly lying or have a history of stealing small things, even from those that love you. Maybe it's the hurt that you've caused someone that keeps haunting you, like an unwanted but persistent poltergeist. Maybe you've been hurt and now you're noticing that the grudge you've held onto is consuming any semblance of joy. All these scenarios and many more are cured when you see yourself at the blood-soaked base of the cross. Looking up at Jesus, letting him know of your situation and intention, asking for his salvation and healing, letting him know that you accept his sacrifice. As I have shared in previous episodes about my mom, a heroin addict who dealt with most everything I just listed and more, all of it was mitigated, neutralized, and disintegrated when she asked, God, if you are real, then change me. He did and she did, and from that moment she was a love-filled, joy-filled, peace-filled woman of God. To me, this is the message of the cross, to share the joy of your salvation, to receive grace, and to share grace. Why not be a part of that message? Close your eyes, imagine yourself at the cross, looking at Jesus, asking him to change you, and ask him if you can be reconciled with and in him, and for you to be in the paradise of his soul. Simply 
say that prayer today. Remember, God declared who he is in the gospel, the core of which is the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Be that reflection of God to those around you. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, the Declaration, along with my other perspirations, then check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T.com. 